Real Fun DC. So good you'll eat it up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi, and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now, sometimes there's a focus on culture, and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends, and sometimes there's a focus on passion projects, because it's my show and I get to do what I want. But it all does come back to the industry. Now, spring has legit sprung in DC. The cherry blossoms are waning, but buds are on the trees, tulips and daffodils are popping out of the ground, and my lilacs are in full bloom. I mean, a little early, I have to say, but I don't care. I have vases all around my house filled with them, and my house smells absolutely delicious. Now, just like those flowers, restaurants and bars are popping too. When you drive through the city, people are like pouring out of places. It's so exciting. Now, new places are, are opening every day. Old places are relaunching. There are new menus. Obviously, I'm going to send you to the thelistareyouonit.com for the latest in openings, updates on area restaurants and what everybody is doing, and every food and wine event in the D.C. metro area. Perfect segue, speaking of events, in case you did not get the memo, events are back. And bringing back one of the area's most beloved events is New Kitchens on the Block. Creators Al Goldberg and Never Martel, they're gonna catch up with me, and they brought with them several notables whose names you probably already know, but they are gonna be opening doors, uh, hopefully very soon. Uh, Blake King of Tori Sumi Yakutori, Marcel Ephraim of Shababi Diner, and Marco Riccio of Chenso Upper West Side. So Al Goldberg, old friend, Good to see you. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. Great to see you. So, okay, for those who maybe aren't familiar with Mess Hall, and I don't know why they wouldn't be, because it's one of the original incubators in the DC market, tell us about it. Yeah, Mess Hall was born uh, out of a need for more commercial kitchen space to help lower the barrier of entry to uh, food producers throughout the city. Uh, we opened in October of 2014, and we're home to a variety of different types of food businesses, including ghost kitchens, caterers, food trucks, uh, consumer packaged goods. And uh, and here we are today, uh, sort of on the other side of things, I like to think. And right. uh, we've had quite a, couple, quite a couple of years. Well, so, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned ghost kitchens, because that was going to be one of my questions. I mean, an incubator was already a ghost kitchen. People made like ghost kitchens were this new thing that just happened because of the pandemic but ghost kitchens were already in effect and executing right you're right and they did start just uh probably with us at least a year or two before the pandemic um we when the pandemic hit we were we were home to or before the pandemic hit we were home to quite a number of caterers and we got together with them and uh and some really smart professors from the business school at Catholic University, which lies right in our backyard. Mm -hmm. And um, and we had some brainstorming sessions to help people pivot to figure out how we we're going to get through this thing. Many of them turned to ghost kitchen concepts. Some of them turned to consumer packaged goods, but it was obvious that the um, corporate catering caterers uh, and uh, and social caterers likewise would, would not be able to survive the foreseeable future. Um, so from that, 
Um, we put in a couple of uh, to-go windows or takeout windows that would enable the Uber Eats and the like to uh, have quick access to pick up um, ghost kitchen fast service uh, concepts. And fast forward to today, over the course of the of the last two years, where people have shown incredible growth and development in their brands and their followings, um, just year to date, and here we are, as you said, in, in April, we've had three. Uh, kitchens that launched as ghost kitchens during the pandemic actually open up their own spaces. So a wow. huge win for them. And then one more on the corner, one more coming around the corner. So, I mean, was that your initial vision of an incubator to take somebody from infancy to brick and mortar or packaged goods out into a bigger market? Yeah, that's always been, that's always been the idea. And to see it happening throughout the years has been amazing. Um, and to watch it unfold through variables that none of us could have predicted throughout the pandemic and the ever-changing laws and tendencies and social dynamics throughout, throughout the year have been incredible. And being able to circle back to New Kitchens on the Block, which makes all of this happen just sort of in, in one day where people can, people can see it sort of in like in, in stop motion time where it's like, one day of this pop-up event and uh, and then get to connect with these soon to open restaurants is really um, is really one of my favorite parts of the event. Well, so how did you and Nevin, Mr. Martel, I'm gonna bring you on board. Uh, Nevin Martel, you may know him uh, as a prolific writer here in the DC metro area. You should of course be following him on Instagram because uh, he posts uh, fabulous photos. He's a professional photographer. Pretty much. Fair enough to say. Yeah. I think you are. Um, so, Nevin, a little background on you, and then I want to hear how you and Al sort of came up with this concept. Yeah, no. Well, first of all, Nikki, thanks so much for having me and for having all of us and just highlighting the event. You've been a longtime supporter of New Kitchens on the Block, and we've really appreciated it. And, you know, it's so gratifying to be able to do it again after two years. Uh, what would have been the sixth edition um, or, or the seventh, really, would have been in the spring of 2020, but, uh, you know, of course that didn't happen. And so we were actually never sure if that was going to happen again at all, not knowing how the next two years or more would unfold. Um, but, you know, as you allude to, you know, prolific food writer here in DC, I write for the city paper. I do a column called Good Taste, which is highlights new restaurants, which really dovetails well with what I do here at New Kitchens on the Block. And I write for Washingtonian and a lot for the Post and, um, you know, pretty much anyone else that that steps up to the plate. And um, you're a cookbook author. I mean, come on, I can help you. Later uh, yes, on yes. I've written a couple of cookbooks. I wrote the Founding Farmers Cookbook. I wrote the, the cookbook for Red Truck Bakery, which has uh, locations out in Warrington and Marshall, Virginia, mm -hmm. and uh, wrote six other books and hope to be writing a ninth one sometime soon. Okay. Um, and so in but, your uh, spare time, yeah. <laughs> you are also doing this event. So yeah. how did you and Al meet and where did the juices start flowing to create this event? Because I know what Al does and I know what you mm -hmm. do, and but highlighting uh, restaurants that are not ready to launch yet is an interesting idea. Well, to be honest, it all started with a stoner donut joke, which uh, I made a joke that if I ever opened up a donut shop, I wanted to call it blazed and glazed. And it would be all like stoner friendly donuts and Al messaged me on Facebook and was like, you know, 
I don't know about a donut shop, but that would be a really great name for an event. And so he and I put together a cannabis cooking class uh, called Blazed and Glazed. Mm -hmm. And we had a really fun time and it worked really well. And this is I like got 10 years ago. I mean, you guys are- This was like, this was seven or eight years ago now. Like way um, ahead of your time, if you think about um, it. Yeah, no, no, no one else was doing it. It was definitely, we were definitely operating in a gray area or maybe a green area is a better way to put it. Um, but we uh, had a great time doing it. And, you know, I really liked Al and I was like, I want to be friends with this guy. And so Al was like, well, if you have any other event ideas. And I was like, oh, if I have an event idea, then maybe he'll hang out with me, you know? So, uh, you know, so I was like, oh, let me, let me think about what people want, but what they can't have. And, you know, in the restaurant world, you always want the new. And so I thought it would be a really cool idea to. But we also event. like the old. Let's not leave out the old. No, 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 no. Of course, of course. That And that's a totally, di there are plenty of events dedicated to, you know, existing right. restaurants, which we love. And, um, and I, of course, love the restaurants that are established and have worked so hard to get where they are and continue to maintain their quality and creativity over the years. But you know, for me, this was kind of even before pop-ups were a thing, you know, at least, you know, people were kind of doing guest dinners and that kind of thing, but pop-ups were just kind of starting. And so I said to Al, wouldn't it be cool if we did an event where it was a bunch of restaurants that haven't opened yet, and it was a first chance for people to taste them all together at once, rather than cobbling together, going to a couple of pop-ups or, you know, maybe a private dinner for investors <laughs> at someone's house. Like, this is a way for the, com for the average person to buy a ticket and go to an event that just caters to these new things that are on the horizon. And, you know, Al came up with a catchy name for it. New Kitchens on the Block is totally Al uh, exhibiting his, his love and uh, affection for the 80s. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then kind of brought in like all the smart operational structure to the event that I have no experience, you know, had no experience in and I'm still impressed by when Al brings it to the table. Well, so uh, if I can pop in on that. So Al, yeah. that is a major question because if they don't actually have kitchens yet, how are they yeah. able to produce the product, right? So because it takes time to open up a restaurant. <laughs> True, so we just happen to have a 10,000 square foot kitchen facility that is always ready to be shared. Um, some of the chefs actually do have their own resources for, for places. And if so, they might choose to prep in their own familiar kitchen, but, um, but we open up our doors if anybody needs any additional storage or production space in the lead up to the event, yeah. So um, I will go through the entire skinny of the event at, you know, sort of at the tail end of the show, but let's give everybody sort of a quick four totally. one on what this year is gonna look like, especially since you haven't done the event for two years. Yeah, over oh, well over two years because the last one was in the fall of 2019. Wow. So we, we felt a little rusty, to be honest, when we started like putting it back together again, because, you know, these muscles have not been used in, in such a long time. And, and again, you're approaching people hopeful that not only chefs and restaurateurs and bar teams are going to be excited about doing this, but also that, you know, guests are going to be excited to come back to experience it again. And, you know, you're there's so many variables that we've seen. We've been teased so many times throughout this pandemic. Like now we're getting back to being able to do certain things. I don't want to use the word normally, but like in a way that we're all more comfortable with, that we all feel safe with. And, um, you know, trying to like plan an event, not knowing where the world will be exactly or how people will be feeling exactly. 
Um, and just like I said, kind of re-exercising muscles that hadn't been used for a long time. You know, it it felt like a little bit of a crapshoot, but we were really gratified because chefs and restaurant teams stepped up to the plate, were super excited about it. You know, really that was gratifying. You know, we were really gratified when we put the event, you know, public and it sold out in just a few days. And, you know, it was really nice to see that the appetite, so to speak, was there for it. And, you know, we've just been really heartened the whole way. Um, people have been so generous with, you know, stepping up to be a part of it in a, so many different ways. Um, so we want to give people an experience that they remember if mm -hmm. they've been there before in the sense that we want it to be full of all the familiar surprise and delight that has been a, kind of like the hallmark of previous events. And if you haven't been, we're here to make sure that if this is the first food event you've been to in two and a half years or two years, you're going to have a fantastic time and it's really going to make an impact. Well, so Al, when you guys were talking about this year, I mean, the event has evolved. So were there changes that you were like, okay, so now we know since we've been doing this for a while, we can do this, or we don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that we can, <laughs> we just don't want to do that. What are some things that uh, people can expect to see? Like how many uh, participants are there? Uh, what are, you know, what's, what's the drinks? Like, what do we got going on? Yeah, I think uh, after the last two years, everybody needs a stiff drink. Yeah. So this will be a particularly uh, boozy event. The chefs, um, uh, many of the chefs elect to create their own craft cocktail to pair with the food. There are seven participating restaurants this year. And um, uh, then there's going to be other samplings uh, from our uh, local favorite, uh, 1-8 Distilling, who will be on site as well to provide some bonus uh, bonus cocktails. So I, I think uh, I think everyone will will be able to come out uh, raging for this one. Okay. Can we give everybody the date? Because we haven't said it yet. Yes, uh, it's Saturday, April thirtieth. Thanks okay, so for that's what you said like throughout so... Saturday, April thirtieth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On that note, I'm gonna go to Blake. Hey, Blake. Hey, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad. So Blake King is behind. Uh, Tori Sumi Yakatori. Blake has, uh, you have quite the resume. It's very impressive. You've been here, there, and everywhere from Central to uh, so you were with Michelle Richard, uh, Frank Ruda, La Dip, been all around DC. You went to Chicago. So you've cooked a lot of French, it sounds like. So tell us a little bit about your progression and what's going on here for you. Yeah, so uh, as a chef proprietor of Torisumi, which is a Japanese-themed restaurant, I, I can totally appreciate that it doesn't really make sense what my background sounds like compared to what I'm actually doing now. Mm -hmm. um, but so, like, I mean, when I was a young cook, I started off like most cooks. Uh, Michelle Richard was one of the best chefs in the country, quite frankly, um, and definitely in D.C., so... Mm -hmm. He was one of the guys I wanted to learn for from. And, Throw things at you. Uh, he, he definitely, things he definitely gave me some uh, firm pats on the head every, every <laughs> once in a while, in his loving, and loving way. Especially if I forgot to walk up and shake his hand as soon as he walked in the building, no matter what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so like you know, I came up learning Western cuisine, learning the French, learning the Italian, and uh, learning the American because that's kind of what everybody's doing. 
And then somewhere down the road, actually, like when I was opening Diplomat, when I was working with one of the corporate chefs there, he had spent some time in Tokyo. And we were working really closely together because that's just where we were both positioned in the kitchen. And he kept on telling stories about Japan. So one of the things that really kind of drew me to Japanese cuisine was just meeting somebody in the right and that had spent some time in Tokyo. And he kind of put that bug in my ear and it really just kind of snowballed from there. Um, You know, I started paying more attention to Japanese cuisine. I popped over to an amazing DC restaurant called Izakaya Seki and had this amazing meal that like, I didn't understand anything about the food. And at that time, like, I felt like I kind of knew everything about, you know, Western cuisine that, you know, as a young cook, I thought I knew everything about Western cuisine. Mm-hmm. That led to me going to Chicago and opening up a restaurant called Momotaro. And that was kind of my first foray into Japanese cuisine with the goal of always wanting to go to Japan. I always wanted to do some kind of a bride. I, you know, every everybody from Thomas Keller to, you know, Mario Batali was, you know, spending time in Europe and I want to go someplace else. So mm-hmm. I went to Japan uh, for the first time for three months and I worked at Nirasawa and Kikunoi um, Honten, which is a really, really famous um, kaiseki restaurant because that's where I was really interested in learning was the the really traditional formal tasting menus that were hyper seasonal I just I loved that I looked through those books and it was it was just a mystery like it was just this this world of cuisine that I had no appreciation for and there really doesn't exist that often in America outside of major metropolitan areas mm-hmm. and when I went to Japan <laughs> Oddly enough, it wasn't the Kaiseki cuisine that I fell in love with. It was this humble izakaya. Actually, when I was working at Nirasawa, I ended up going out with some of the, from some of the guys from work one night. And we went to this really bohemian, like, kind of off the fringe neighborhood called Sangdanjaya. And there was this hole in the wall izakaya that we stumbled into one night. And we started having the skewers. And we had, you know, sashimi and all the other classics. Like skewers, are you talking about ribata? Uh, yes, yakitori okay. specifically. So. Okay. At like many small izakayas in Japan, they'll have a wide, wide selection of different menu items, and usually they'll feature some skewers. This place in particular just blew me away in a in a way that I just kept on going back. You know, this is my first couple of weeks in Tokyo I'd ever been there, and I went back maybe third or fourth time, and I was sitting there and I couldn't speak any Japanese. That wasn't my goal. I was just trying to learn a little bit and go back to the states and, you know, do whatever with that knowledge I could. Mm-hmm. and um I just I just turned to the bar and it's just like hey you know I want to do this omakase and they're just like this guy turned to me in English and was just like oh hey are, are you sure and I was just like oh yeah I'm, I love this place this is one of the best places I've ever been to I can't get my head around this food it's amazing he's like oh really and we ended up just sitting there talking shop for like two or three hours turns out he was the chef owner yeah. and he has become one of my closest friends in Japan mm-hmm. um and I, I eventually ended up working for him so long story short, uh, after a couple more trips to Japan, I realized I really got to go deeper and I got to learn the language and I really got to immerse myself. So that's when I kicked off that last trip, got a proper visa and was able to spend two years in Japan. And I worked under two Yakitori masters. Uh, Yakitori Imai uh, was the main flagship in Aoyama, which is a very fancy tasting menu. And then I worked at that Izakaya was telling you about Santa Honten. And I was able to grill and really like, immerse myself in the culture, no English, no nothing, and just learn and learn how little I knew about the food. Wow. And so 
Tori Sumi is a tribute to that. Um, it is me trying to honor and respect the lessons that I was taught and the standards that uh, I'm still being um, reminded how bad I am in terms of compared to what they what they taught me to do. Um, and yeah, uh, the goal now, is to with Tori Sumi now. So do we have a brick and mortar? Are we? Plant like where where are we status wise with everything? Are you doing pop ups locally? Are you working at a mess hall? Like what? How are you executing and getting ready to launch your dream? So Tori Soon is currently just doing pop ups. Uh, I'd like to. The goal is to do a brick and mortar by two thousand twenty three, okay. um, maybe summer two thousand twenty three. Mm -hmm. uh, I've only been back in D.C. for a year, so I just got back from Japan. Relatively speaking, I just got back from Japan. Right. It's a it's a shady year, so. I understand. Yeah, it, you know, I came back and kind of peak COVID. Tokyo was actually much more functional than DC was, so it was kind of a shock to my system. Um, I okay. was doing pop-ups at Tokyo Underground. I think a lot of people kind of know me from that. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, they lost that space, and I need an outdoor space to do what I'm doing. Sure. Um, I've got some pop-ups coming up. Uh, I'm going to be doing pop-ups at a bar called Lost and Found, um, and then I've got a couple others in the works. I'm not quite ready to announce just yet. We haven't finalized the details on those, mm -hmm. but I'll be kind of posting that on social media. And then I'm going to be doing more events, like events like this. Uh, in the chef community, I'm going to be a little bit more involved in. Um, I got invited to do some stuff with them. And I've been doing private events. So if people want to invite me to their house and I can set up shop in their backyard and we can do a barbecue or we can do a formal wakase, you know, I, I give a couple different couple different options to people in terms of what they can expect. And yeah. so for uh, this event, how do you plan on showcasing yourself? So I'm going to do a classic skewer called Spune. It's basically a chicken meatball. Mm, um, yeah. And it's a yeah, I can't give away too much in terms of uh, what the techniques there, I guess, but it's going to be a chicken meatball. I'll have my grills set up. I'll have my binchotan. Um, I source all my charcoal from Japan for the most part. And uh, yeah, we're going to showcase that skewer. And then I, as I was saying, um, I went to Three Stars, which is a local brewery. I'm going to be doing a pairing with them um, for this skewer. I love so it. It's okay. really fun. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to get back to you later in the show. I'm going to bring in my old friend, Marcel Afram. We know each other from the Blue Jacket days. That's and then the Maidan days. So many days. And then actually Shababi. So let's talk about Shababi because you launched it. It's a pandemic baby. You launched it during the pandemic. Let's yeah. talk about what you wanted to do there. Well, I came home uh, October 2020 and I, uh, you know, I, I think 2020 in general for a lot of us was really retrospective, right? And I was, uh, you know, we did a lot of things that made on, which was great. And I was kind of trying to get back to my roots, right? And there was this one aspect that I wasn't really representing and it's my Palestinian side, which is uh, the one that I always felt closest to, um, but I wasn't properly uh, projecting outwards and especially with the height of so many things uh, politically and that was, you know, that was specifically happening in the world. I really wanted to share this narrative and I come home October 2020 and I turn to my wife Joyce and I'm like, look, got this idea, it's chicken and french fries, hear me out. And so, you know, I kind of menu tested at home and- uh, I mean, that is like it in its simplest form. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's this classic dish. It's actually considered the national dish of Palestine called Musakhan. And uh, I, growing up, my grandfather would always, uh, who's from the West Bank, would always tell me about all these rotisserie chicken places that are 
I mean, they're globally acclaimed, actually. Like, they're really well, like, the West Bank is known for the rotisserie chicken. So I kind of want to do a mashup, you know, and uh, celebrate. I lost you. No, you're here. Oh, weird. My, uh... Keep going. You want to do a mashup? Yeah, I wanted to do a mashup of the chickens. Um, sorry, Nikki. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I wanted to do a mashup of the uh, chickens that are, you know, traditionally uh, found in Palestinian cuisine. And I really wanted to speak on this narrative um, and my history that, you know, I was still like learning about uh, that I really didn't find um, to be like on that. the forefront in many iterations. So we launched uh, Shababi Chicken in January, 2021. Yeah, 2021, uh, really only planned on doing it for, I don't know, like a couple of months, maybe. Um, ended up running it through September. But you were running uh, it like a ghost kitchen, right? Like, uh, it's not like you had a sit down location, people had to order it and pick it up. Or yeah, it up. yeah, we were in West End, Alexandria. Um, you know, popped up in my friend's deli space. We were right. pre-order only. We started off as two nights a week, ended up going to four nights a week, like two hours a night. Uh, it was just myself, Joyce and our son, Caleb. Uh, and we were doing like pretty hefty, like quantities, you know, in a week. And I, I think that it just, I didn't really know what to anticipate starting the pop-up. I knew that I had the story that I wanted to represent. Um, and then it really just opened up this door. You know, we got a few uh, Rammy nominations. We got nominated for um, Best of in City Paper. Like it was just the attention. Nevin like wrote a beautiful piece um, about us really highlighting the story and the cuisine. And it, I mean, it's making me blush because it was just the response was so overwhelming. People are renting cars from DC to come pick up the chicken. Right? Like, it was just so cool, you know, and we could have really couldn't have anticipated that sort of response. Uh, I just wanted to share this love story of these chicken and French fries, you know, and uh, it opened up this door. And so when we wrapped up shop in September, I think there were a couple of directions we could have gone in, right? Like the obvious one would have been a quick service restaurant, like just doing the shababi chicken. But I felt like I had a good few more years really hustling and bustling in me, you know, on the say, floor. You're yeah. You, yes, like to, you're a, you like to chef things up. I mean, yeah. you are. So yeah. not that you couldn't yeah. do that. And maybe yeah. that's in your future at some point. But yeah. Yeah. I think that would be boring for you. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, what's like, what would be a passion project? Why not explore that option? And, you know, my parents owned a diner when I was younger. And I think my narrative specifically is as much as there are aspects of traditional Palestinian cuisine, uh, I'm a first generation American, you know, and so much of that has been influenced, like my upbringing here has influenced the way that I've eaten growing grown up and growing up. And I really saw this bridge um, in a really whimsical way that could be kind of produced. And I think it's almost like a lot of chefs have this like diner dream, you know, because it just kind of gives you this. Like well, flavor. I think a lot of chefs have the diner dream because they're like, when I'm done yeah. at two o'clock in the morning, I want somebody else to make me a grilled cheese. That's what I want. I want the grilled cheese. Yeah. And I think that uh, as far as we will be opening in D.C. and I think uh, specifically for uh, West Asian, Middle Eastern, North African cuisine, there's a lot of uh, specifically in the city, in the suburbs, it, 
the landscape's a little different, but there's kind of uh, the really fast, quick service style, and then there's the fine dining, and we want to be that casual dining, um, burn and turn, really fun food, some super traditional things, some not so traditional, some things, you know, a lot of homage to my grandfather who helped raise me. Uh, for instance, the uh, drink that we're serving at uh, New Kitchens on the Block, my grandfather had really interesting taste in how he concocted his cocktails, but it's, uh, I call it Cito's, Cito's, what we call them in Arabic, uh, Cito's Mimosa, so it's like orange juice, which like oranges from the Yaffa region of Palestine are notorious, so oranges are really important. The dash of Arak, uh, topped with a little bit of champagne and care molasses. Um, so just really fun flavors that for me are really reminiscent of uh, what I grew up with and like trying to bring and highlight like not just the Palestinian experience, but the first generation experience as well. Well, and let's talk about what you'll be doing at the event. Yeah. Um, I'll be doing, drink, a, which sounds delicious. Yeah, I'll be doing a knife waffle, um, which I'm really excited about, uh, has been really fun menu testing. My family's been really happy about that one, uh, cause most of the menu testing has been going on at home. Uh, but it's essentially, it's a traditional, uh, you know, waffle batter. We take knife, which is, uh, uh, Nablus, um, a region, a city in Palestine is notorious for their knife production. Um, and in all Arab cuisine are considered kind of the royalty of knefe. So it's a Nabulsi style uh, knefe, uh, which is made with uh, kataifi and sweet cheese, uh, rose water, pistachios. We take that, press it inside the waffle, yeah. um, and then top the waffle with rose syrup, uh, pistachios, some of the crunchy bits of kataifi and whipped cream. And it's just like so much fun. Um, and it. I feel and like the whipped cream is like taking it yeah. Over the top. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it just sounds super indulgent. Yeah. And, you know, I've been doing, you know, like I have a history of um, kind of a really broad landscape of the type of dining that I've done. And uh, I think that like the thing that I want to do is just uh, something really approachable, you know, and just fun and just, you know, feels maybe like super indulgent. And I'm just at a really like comfortable and stable place as far as the creativity is concerned, you know, and like finding this bridge that takes this cuisine and these flavors with like this American aspect and making things like knife waffles, which I, I'm just so, so excited about. You know? Well, I cannot wait to try them at the event, but I'm going to pass on now to our next guest, uh, Margot Riccio who uh, we know from a lot of different things. Uh, Margo, you're like, you have been around DC for a while. You uh, are Pow Pow, you are Bubbies. So let's get some background on you, uh, how you got into the food industry and specifically everything you do is plant-based. So I'd love to hear some of your background. Everything I do is plant-based now. Um, I didn't start out that way. My okay. family has been in the restaurant business my entire life. My father had a steakhouse. This was never the plan, I, I assure you. Okay. Um, I got a late life allergy um, while I was working at um, a, a restaurant on 8th Street, and it wasn't safe for me to be in the kitchen at all. Uh, anytime I would take a bite, full body hives, anaphylactic shock, and they finally figured out it was something I was taking was interfering with everything. And after three years, uh, dairy was the only allergy that stuck. My partner is um, vegetarian. 
So we realized that we were vegan after a year because I don't bring meat in the house because of him. He doesn't bring in dairy because of me. So we decided to open um, Pow Pow and make it plant-based. We uh, changed the concept a year into it to make it plant-based because before we had a mirrored menu. Uh, then we did Bubbies with New Kitchens on the Block. And right. that's been going really well. It's getting its, we put it in our incubator space. And now that's moving into its own home on 18th Street and Adams Morgan soon, uh, hopefully this summer. I saw the sign. And then, yeah. Well, can we tell people, so can we just talk a little bit about what Pow Pow is and the kind of cuisine that you're serving there and the same thing with Bubbies so people have a good idea more than it just being plant-based because that can be a lot of things. So uh, Pow Pow is actually Asian fusion. Mm -hmm. um, we do kind of... Um, I grew up in San Francisco, so what we're mainly known for is like our sweet and sour pork that looks and tastes like San Francisco sweet and sour pork. Right. We have egg rolls the size of my forearm. Um, it's it's just a fun, fast, casual neighborhood spot. We are opening a second one on I Street for mm -hmm. the business crowd, um, but it's uh, green bowls and rolls. I think is is what they the tagline Sean uses for that. Uh, Bubby's is more Americana. Um, it's burgers, chicken sandwiches, and I am so excited to finally be able to do a DC brunch at our new location and actually do a full service menu. We'll have a chef's tasting room downstairs. When you say Bubby, are you meaning like grandmother? No. So uh, my, my Shih Tzu's, it's a term of endearment. We call him Bubby. And so oh, okay. Because him. I mean, my great grandmother was Bubby. That's why I'm asking. We're also kosher. So it kind of goes all, okay. always for people. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so now what are you bringing to New Kitchens on the Block? We're going to bring Chenzo's, which is named after our French bulldog, Vincenzo. Who I've been uh, it's... on the camera. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a New York style Italian deli kind of sandwich shop. It'll serve classic Italian sandwiches, uh, plant-based proteins. We make everything in-house. Um, from our cheeses, sauces, to our proteins. We do everything. Uh, I did launch a nationwide uh, cheese company, plant-based this year. Wow. And we'll have Vertage cheeses in all the locations, like a deli counter. Neat. So for people who aren't familiar with uh, plant-based cheeses and plant-based deli-style meats, what does that look like? Like, am I ordering an Italian sub? Does it taste like an Italian sub? Am I ordering a... Uh, a Reuben. So how, how do you envision that being rolled out? Yeah. Um, so part of the reason I did this is I was hungry. I just, I genuinely missed real food. Um, all the plant-based options were either frozen things from the store that I just didn't enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I used my culinary knowledge to make things taste, nothing will ever be like the real thing, but it's close enough that I don't miss it anymore. We have the mozzarellas, we have the pastrami's, so you can go in and order an Italian sub and it'll have all the classic meats and cheeses you expect. And it, we, we dye it with beetroot. It looks the same. It acts the mm -hmm. same. And the texture feels, the mouthfeel feels the same. It does. It actually creeps a lot of vegans out. And that's why we, we say plant-based because it's a diet and we're not a part of the lifestyle. It's all about a, a diet. So we welcome everybody. Cool. That is really neat. Now you have done this event before and what did you get out of it? We absolutely loved it. I mean, Nevin was fantastic and it was so much fun Al, to be there. But we also got Al, like, you're like, yeah, I didn't actually get great, but Al, and Al was whatever. Uh, my partner got to meet him. I was, I was cooking, so I didn't actually get to uh, meet him in person. But 
for us, it was a good way to also meet new kitchens that were coming into the neighborhood and make some nice contacts. And we were so happy to do it. We were going to do it again. And then, of course, um, COVID hit. And we so we're, we're thrilled to be able to do it again. Very exciting. Well, um, Al and Nevin, I want to bring you both back on. So let's sort of give everybody the list of everybody who's participating. Oh, wait, Margot, tell me what you're going to be serving. So we're going to be doing my family's lemon cello as a drink. It's actually a grapefruit cello. Um, because in Italy, our lemons are much larger. So when we came to America, we switched it to grapefruit. It's a really unique flavor. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, we're going to do, um, uh, I'm going to bring in one of my teammates from Bretage. And so we're going to have a charcuterie plate with pancetta and then all the Bretage cheeses. Oh. And then we're also going to offer a uh, chicken parm sandwich. Yum. We got a lot of chicken going on here. This is going to be good. <laughs> Okay, um, so now and now let's bring you guys back. So who else is participating and what else can we look forward to at the event on the 30th? It's just one day this year, right? It is Nailing. just one day, two different sessions. There's a noon to two and then uh, a three to five o'clock session mm -hmm. on Saturday, April 30th. Mm -hmm. And uh, aside from the three fantastic concepts that you have on the show today, uh, we have Hill East Burger, which is a collaboration between uh, the creators of Republic Cantina and Sloppy Mama's Barbecue. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be doing, uh, of course, some kind of burger um, for the event. Um, we have Tale. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is um, fantastic chef uh, by the name of Omar that I've that Al's just gotten a chance to meet personally, and I'm still looking forward to meeting. Um, and then we have DC Vegan, uh, which is uh, doing a new bar concept. Yeah, I had uh, one uh, Foodie and the Beast two weeks ago. The yeah, I saw. Good, the cocktails are really good. So, and they're doing uh, a play on fried calamari, but using King Trumpet mushrooms. Cool. And then uh, we have the team um, from Your Only Friend, which was the sandwich pop-up that, you know, spent a lot of time at the Columbia Room during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not, sure what dish they're doing al you might have a better sense of that because you read all that paperwork and i just file it away yeah they're doing a um a really cool uh riff on a pierogi ah and what what's tale doing please remind me on that front too he's doing a lamb based dish yeah he's doing yeah he's doing a lamb based skewer um so omar hails from egypt and um and he's he's going to be bringing um the flavors from that part of the world and so it's a it's a really great eclectic mix again this year. I'm super excited to see that there's also um, that that an, that an emphasis that we've seen um, toward plant based foods is also going to be emphasized at the event. It's such an important um, direction of things, and something that I hope that will that will continue. So we've got kind of a mix for everyone, and um, and some of the most exciting things I think will be the plant based items that are going to be um offered to help open up you know new audiences to this to this notion that um that there are additional fun and delicious things that we can put on our on our plates so and you know again this this sort of like global um this this uh these global flavors that we'll be seeing from from everyone is just going to be a great mix this year so um super excited it's, I mean, yeah. I have to be honest, the offerings are amazing. And it, I mean, regionally, we're like all over the world, which is great. And you're 100% right about the plant based. But what I, what I love about what Margot is doing is that 
Um, and you, you really said it like it, it's not your lifestyle, but you want everybody to eat it. And the truth is, I think for so long when people heard vegan, they were like, yeah, I'm not vegan. I want a steak, but now plant-based foods feel so much more approachable and people aren't turning their nose up to it in the, in the same way I think that it was for years. So it's, it's the, the narrative on that has changed drastically. I mean, um, and the science behind it's going to make it amazing. I mean, if impossible foods showed us anything, the science behind uh, food technology is going to change everything. I could not agree with you more. I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole on that, but maybe I'll bring you back and we'll do that on another show. Uh, so, okay, Nevin and Al. Uh, well, wait, I'm not going to go to you guys first. Marcel, tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram, please. Uh, you can find all information at Shababi Diner, S-H-A-B-A-B-I-D-I-N-E-R uh, mm -hmm. on Instagram. And uh, you can find my personal through that. <laughs> Blake, can you tell everybody where they can find, like how we can get you to come cook at our houses and et cetera, and follow you for pop-ups? Sure. Uh, so Instagram is one way, Tori Sumi Yakitori. Um, I'm actually having some issues with my Tori Sumi Instagram account right now. So hopefully that'll be up and running properly in a couple of days. Uh -huh. But uh, you can also get at me, W Blake King on Instagram, or you can just go to the Tori Sumi website. That's a pretty easy way of getting more information about events and uh, being able to reach out. I'll get right back to you. Excellent. Okay, Margo, tell us how we keep in touch with you and all your different concepts. So it's eat pow pow uh, for our Instagram, our um, Bubby's plant burgers, and then Chenzo's Upper West Side for this event. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, Alan Evan, let's get the final 411 date, times. Are there still tickets left? Can we still get tickets? Um, and where we follow both of you on Instagram. Well, the event is Saturday, April 30th. Uh, there's a 12 p.m. session and a 3 p.m. session. Each session is two hours long. Um, right now, tickets are sold out. We may have a few extra tickets that we'll release uh, in the coming weeks before the event, but um, we were really gratified. People really snapped up the tickets we had available you know, just in a few days. So um, I'm not sure if people will have a chance, but if we will, uh, if there are, We'll announce it on our Instagram account, which is just New Kitchens on the Block on uh, Instagram, or you can also follow me on Instagram at Nevin Martell, N-E-V-I-N-M-A-R-T-E-L-L. Don't bother following Al on Instagram because he never he checks it. He doesn't post anything. <laughs> he doesn't, but I tag him so that I'm someday when he's like in his hospital bed, like in old Wonder. age, and he's looking back through the gram, he'll see all the times I tagged him over the years. It will be and my life like, flashing before me. Exactly. Yeah. All, in, all in unread Instagram tags. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanna thank all of you for joining me today. And uh, all of you, everybody, I mean, Alan, Evan, you're doing a great thing because you're really showcasing what people in the community are doing. And uh, each of you have such amazing concepts. I cannot wait to see you at the event, but also see how it gets executed in the future. Well, thanks for having us, Nikki. It's been a real pleasure. I would just say you can follow Al kind of at at mess hall dc on okay. instagram and on twitter all those amazing concepts are going to be there at this incredible event at mess hall and if you haven't been to mess hall it's such a cool concept go to messhalldc.com so you can see what an incubator is and how new concepts are able to really 
research and develop their concepts and bring them to fruition. Like Al said in the beginning of the show, so many makers and artisans and restaurants get their start in these incubators. Um, they are such a necessary component of the hospitality industry. So again, I want to thank all my guests uh, for joining me and especially thank Nevin Martell and Al Goldberg for putting this whole panel together because without them, uh, we'd be talking about other things. So uh, a couple things, housekeeping notes for you all out there. It is beautiful out. Uh, patios are opening. Just remember there are still staff shortages in the DC metro area, especially when it comes to the hospitality industry. So if your food doesn't arrive super fast or the waiter you're dealing with seems a little rushed, take your kindness pill and just deal with it. It's going to be fine and the food is going to be delicious. Uh, there are also supply shortages still, don't forget. So, you know, if the dish you really wanted isn't available, order something else, you'll get it again. Uh, and lastly, I don't know what's gonna happen with masks or vaccination cards. I don't have a crystal ball on that one, but if somebody wants you to wear a mask, just put it on. It's just not that big of a deal. Anyway, I hope you're all safe. Get that second booster if you can. I got mine. Uh, if you didn't get tickets to this event, stay tuned because maybe more will be available. Of course, you can find every event happening in the DC metro area on the list are you on it.com. You want to follow me at NYCCINELLIS on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, you tune in every Sunday to 1500 for Foodie and the Beast with my husband David and I, 14 years in running on air. And here we are, industry night, five years on air. I thank you all for joining me. Be safe out there and have a delicious week. It's industry night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC.